Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, in today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to a woman in the middle who tells a great story about her entrepreneurial journey and all of the interesting steps along the way. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I'm so glad to be here with you again. So something really cool happened this week that I wanted to tell you about. A few months ago, I was interviewed for an article with AARP, and it's out now. It's called Skip the Midlife Crisis and Choose a Midlife Evaluation Instead. So of course, I'll include a link in the show notes, and I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, I had so much fun with today's guest, Jillian Leslie. She does a really great job explaining where she was at when she made big decisions to pivot and go in a different direction throughout her entrepreneurial journey. I had so much fear when I used to have to make work-related decisions like that, so I really enjoyed digging in like this, and I think you will too. But just quick, before we dive into this episode and you meet my amazing guest, I wanted to make sure you heard about the exciting new thing that will be coming to you soon. I'll be launching a second podcast. It's coming up. Essentially, it's a sister podcast to the Women in the Middle show that you're listening to now. And the name of the show is Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. I like to think of it as two cool parts of my business coming together, getting married and having a baby. (laughs) So if you're a woman in the middle who's 50 plus and also an entrepreneur or a business owner, this new podcast is especially for you. This show will be focused on what's really going on for you as an entrepreneur who's over 50 while you're in it. Dealing with the classic midlife related obstacles and challenges, things like taking care of your aging parents, empty nest, menopause, lack of self-care and work-life balance, that sort of stuff. And when it all comes up, it can be harder to focus on your priorities if you even know what they are anymore. (laughs) You can start to worry that you're going to have regrets because you're not fulfilled and you know you're meant for more. So we'll be focusing on what the experience is really like to be over 50 and run a business. And I'm interested in talking to all kinds of business owners too, from solopreneurs and small businesses to those of you who might even have employees bricks and mortar businesses too. In fact, I really want to find guests who do a wide variety of things and not just working with midlife women. The focus of this podcast is not about women who work with midlife women. (laughs) I want to make sure we interview entrepreneurs with a big variety of experiences. Sound good? So if you're interested in learning more about how to be a guest on this new show, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. There's lots more information there waiting for you so that you can see if you're a good fit for this show. Okay, let me introduce you to my amazing guest today. Her name is Jillian Leslie. The entrepreneurial journey is typically a long and winding one full of pivots, mistakes, and excitement. You're going to be meeting someone today who is really good at watching what's going on and making wise pivots. So my guest Jillian has a proven track record of living and breathing business. She has a BA and MBA from Stanford and was a TV and screenwriter in Hollywood for 12 years. She worked on a variety of sitcoms and movies, including one you might recognize, Freaky Friday. 
Jillian's also the founder of the digital product payment solution, Milo Tree Cart, the Milo Tree pop-up app, Catch My Party, and she's also a business coach and a business translator and hosts the Blogger Genius Podcast. Now, this podcast is about learning how successful bloggers and online entrepreneurs grow their businesses and how you can use their tips and strategies to grow your own business. She takes what's working in blogging and online business today and breaks it down so you can use these actionable strategies in your own business. I love Jillian's entrepreneurial story, and I know you will too. Her journey includes writing, technology, and community. So interesting and so good. And fun fact, Jillian and I found out we were both born in the same hospital in New Haven, Connecticut. (laughs) You just never know who you're going to meet and what weird and fun stuff you have in common. So please enjoy this interview. Hi, Jillian. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. I'm so excited to be here. You know, you are one of those fun people that somehow I just met you online. (laughs) And I love that because I kind of had a feeling I needed to know you. I was just drawn to you. So I listened to your podcast. I heard you on somebody else's show. And and then I bought something you offered. And before we know it, we're figuring out that we were both born at the same hospital. And we go, (laughs) we're probably cousins. Who knows? (laughs) Definitely. It's so funny. I was talking to you and I immediately said, I need to have you on my podcast. And then you said, oh, come on my podcast. Perfect. Sometimes life is like that in the internet world. That's for sure. Well, I love your story because you can really see with your story that your personal path to an exciting next chapter can't really be predicted. You have to trust the process. And as we talk a little bit about how you ended up doing what you're doing, we'll see there's clues everywhere. But when you're in it, you don't really know you didn't know you were going to end up in tech. And I just find that fascinating. So can you tell me a little bit about what got you going? What did you study in university? What were you, what were you attracted to? And then we'll just go from there. Okay. So I grew up in New Jersey and I went out to California to Stanford to go to college. And I had no idea what I wanted to be or do. But the one thing I knew was I didn't want to be dependent on my parents anymore. Mm. And I and it was kind of like um I knew what I didn't want, but I didn't know what I wanted. So I knew, you know, there I am at Stanford with these high achievers. And really, while it sounds like there are so many options, there really I felt like there weren't that many. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. I knew I didn't want to be an academician. And so what I thought was I'm creative. I'm going to start my own business someday. So my thought was, because of course, uh, coming from my background, a lot of people then go on to graduate school. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll go try and get an MBA at some point. How do I do this? And I'm very good. I'm sure your audience will relate to this and tell me what to do. Oh, yes. So I we found love that. Somebody, <laughs> I found somebody who was a couple of years ahead of me. And she was looking at jobs and stuff. And I said, okay, tell me what to do. And she said, great, go major in this and do this activity. And then you're going to work for a couple of years. And I was like, I am signed up. So I was a quantitative economics and public policy major. And the funny part was, I do like economics weirdly, but- This whole thing is funny. (laughs) Okay. I really didn't. I wasn't really, like these were not choices that- I felt were intrinsic to me. I didn't know what was intrinsic to me. Mm. I was following this path. 
after college, I got one of these high-powered jobs at Disney, but a business job, not a creative job. And there I was, so weird. Um, There I was in my little office at Disney at the headquarters in Burbank. And I would, I was doing like spreadsheets and financial analysis and stuff like this. And I was miserable. It was awful. And what I felt like was for five days a week, Disney was renting out my brain. And then for two days, I got to have my own life. And when I would call somebody, you know, because I needed information or whatever, and I'd call somebody outside of Disney and I'd go, oh, this is Jillian Leslie from the Walt Disney Company. And they would say to me, oh, my God, you work at Disney. You must be so happy. And I would have this strange moment where I'd go, oh, my God, if only you knew I am miserable. Like, I'm on the verge of tears here. And I would say on the phone, oh, no, I'm so happy. It's so great (laughs) working at Disney. Disney was a hard place to work, by the way, back then. It still is. But I think people didn't know that. Um, So it was just, I felt as if I was 24 and didn't know what, and I felt like I was having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Because somehow I followed the path that I was told to follow and I was doing everything right. And I was so unhappy and didn't know why. So it's funny because you deal with women like in their 40s and 50s who are kind of going through this. Well, I had a mini version of, I I would say, no, that's not true. It was the biggest version of my midlife crisis was right then. So then I did what I was supposed to do. I applied to business school and I got in and I got into Stanford. And, um, but I was like, this isn't fun. I want to do something creative. So on the Disney lot, there were different um, production companies. And I went around and started talking to people. And I got a job working for Bette Midler's production company. What? So I em- it was so funny because Stanford said, we will not defer you. If you don't want to come, like you're going to have to reapply. However, I emailed them and I said, hey, I'm going to be working for Bette Midler, who was a bigger deal back then. Um, so I think you should defer me because I promise you, I will bring so much more to the business school community. And lo and behold, they deferred me. Wow. So for a year, I worked as an assistant, which sounds again, cool. Like, oh my God, you were for Bette Midler. You met Bette Midler and stars and all the stuff. And I did. And I hated it. And mm-hmm. I was the girl who would get coffee and make copies of scripts at the copying machine. And, um, and I, but I knew I was moving closer because the writers would come in and they looked like they liked their jobs. Uh. I'm always looking like who likes their job, but this job sucked. So ultimately what I decided was I wanted to be a writer in Hollywood. However, I knew nothing about writing and two, I was terrified. And so what did I do? I went to business school with the intention. I was like crazy. I was the girl who shows up at business school going, Hey guys, like, I know you really like business and that's cool, but like, I'm going to be a writer in Hollywood. (laughs) And I think they thought I was either a lunatic or like, Whoa, like you got something going on. You know, you're not just wanting to have like go to Wall Street. So I, I went to business school and I had such a good time because. I didn't care in the same way. People would come to me and be like, you want to run this club with me? And I'd be like, "Uh -uh, I'm going to be a writer in Hollywood. Why do I want to go, I don't know, learn about marketing? But anyway, it was really fun. But then all of a sudden now, uh uh-oh, 
I've graduated. My dad is super proud of me. But then I go, hey, I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to live off my tiny little bit of savings in my crappy apartment and start writing. But I, but by the way, I don't know how to write. So I had to be a really crappy writer for a really long time. Just writing scripts in my very sad apartment while my friends from business school were off at these big jobs. But lo and behold, and I do believe this, that I started to get a little bit better and a little bit better. I started to meet people and my script ended up back at a woman at Disney who ran a program for new writers. And I ended up getting into this program. And from that, I ended up getting on some sitcoms. And all of a sudden, I had an agent and a manager and a lawyer and the whole shebang. And for 10 years, I was a sitcom writer, and then I was a movie writer. And now you're going to say, oh, my God, you must have found it. And that you were, again, you found that thing. And I did for a while. Right. And And you know what? And I I think the part that I heard just now that really has me so interested is that you had enough nerve, even though you were terrified, to do things your own way and to trust that hunch of what you didn't like and what you liked enough to lean into just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So even when you sucked as a writer, even when you knew that you weren't going to do this, your interests weren't the same in business school, you still leaned into it and did it your own way. So even though you were confused and, and scared and weren't an excellent writer, you still did the thing. And the other thing that really stands out to me is that that Disney connection. Yeah. So I have this <laughs> conversation back. with my kids all the time. Like, even though you may have a job that you don't love, even though that you, you may have a job that some parts of it you're really good at and some parts you aren't really good at, you're learning so much just exactly what you said about what you like and what you didn't like. Mm -hmm. And there's still contacts. You're developing relationships, even though that wasn't the job for you. Exactly. And the other thing too, it it was a writer friend of mine who had this, who was, who was successful and I was not successful. And, um, and she said to me, be a beginner. Mm. Because I kept expecting that somehow magically I was going to know how to do this. And the truth is, writing is like any other skill. Like, yes, you need to be creative, but you also need to understand a bunch of like how scripts work and story structure and all of these things, how character development. So I had to go through that process of learning and being a beginner and sucking and being okay. And and I'm not saying like I was so okay sucking, but I had to go, all right. I would write a script and I would learn and then I would put it aside and I'd write another one and I'd get a little bit better, but I'd make other mistakes and then I'd learn and then I'd write a third script and, you know, I'd give it to people to read and get feedback. But when I embraced the idea that I was a beginner, instead of like, this should somehow happen for me, like, why? So I think it is about being willing to sit in my crappy apartment in Brentwood in LA while watching other people be super successful and going, no, 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 this is my North Star. I'm going to do this. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that you talked about sucking because um, when you're a beginner, you you really do suck. And uh oh, <laughs> oh boy, look who's coming in. I hope this isn't trouble. Uh oh. Nico the Noof has just made an appearance. Oh, he's so <laughs> cute. 
So if uh, hopefully we'll just cross our fingers, everything's going to be okay. Um, But being a beginner, everything you're saying is exactly relevant to a midlife funk. And Mm -hmm. what you need to do when at any age, this advice is appropriate for our kids. This advice is appropriate for career transition. It's appropriate for somebody starting something completely new, like going from corporate to being an entrepreneur. Um, And when you show up and want to take tap dancing after you haven't since you were 14, that was me. I was so scared because I knew I would suck Hmm. and I did suck and it was Hmm. okay because what so many of us are craving is either change or passion, right? So some of what you were doing was fitting and some of it wasn't. So you said it went on for about 10 years and then it didn't. So what happened next? Well, then, okay. So I meet my husband. So this is during the dot-com boom and we meet it at, okay. So I'm a writer in Hollywood. I'm on hiatus, which means, you know, TV shows, you get like a, your summer kind of fall off. It's spring to kind of summer off. And there's this thing called the internet. And I go to my agents and I say, guys, I'm going to make you a ton of money because there's this thing called the internet and you don't really <laughs> get it because you're like so old school Hollywood. I want to work at a content company like making shows for the internet. But by the way, this is when there was dial-up, no broadband, but somehow it was going to work. And I go work at this company, um, again, with some Disney, ex-Disney people. And I'm a writer and I create this show called The Prom Queens. And it was actually pretty cool. And it was about this all-girl rock band. And a guy is my tech person on the show. I don't know what the hell he does. He's a little cute, but kind of has an attitude. <laughs> and cut to the company goes under and he becomes my husband or he becomes <laughs> my boyfriend. So I joke that I went to my agents who were kind of like rolling their eyes at me going like, I'm like, we're all going to get rich. I don't want you to, get, I don't want to be paid in any cash. I just want stock options. Well, of course the company goes under, it's the dot-com bust. However, I do say that I did get rich because I found my awesome husband, David. So David goes and works at MySpace while I go write movies. And I'm writing teen comedies. And at MySpace, it's all teens. And we say to each other, hey, you know, we really liked working together. Let's start something on the side. So we come up with this idea to like create this kind of site for teen girls to share photos of their party. So whether it be Sweet Sixteens, Quinceañeras, Bar and Bat Mitzvahs, Proms, that kind of thing. And we hire some developer. My, thank God my husband is very tech savvy and we hire developers in like Indonesia and he's on the phone with them at like one and two in the morning because of the time change. We build this site that is just this like vomit of pink and purple because it's for teen <laughs> girls. And then we have a problem, which is how do we get people to add their party photos to our site? So I'm this 30-something-year-old woman at the time chasing teen girls around the internet going, hey, I don't mean to be creepy or anything, but like, want to put your party photos up? And it was like crickets. And I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. And then what happened was we were on vacation, I remember, and all of a sudden, like a mom put her like Minnie Mouse parties on our party photos on our site and she had an Etsy shop and she made beautiful like party hats. And then another mom put her party photos up on our site, like Toy Story parties. And I'm like, oh no, we've attracted the wrong audience. Like, like no teen girl is going to think, Hey, you know, I want my sweet 16 photos up with Minnie Mouse and Toy Story. 
And this is like one of the first important lessons that we learned about building businesses on the internet. And that is, oh, you think you know, but you don't know. And your audience might not be who you think they are. So what we decided was, let's lean in to these moms with Etsy shops. Maybe that is our site. And that was one of those moments where talk about being humbled. Like we were like, should we delete these? Like what? This isn't, this isn't (laughs) how we imagined it. And yet it worked and we grew our site called Catch My Party. And, and it's, we've grown it into the largest party ideas site on the web with user generated content. You can find it today. And then here's the thing that was another major pivot. I had a daughter. And I joke about this, but it is the more I read, the more I recognize this is true. She hijacked my biology. (laughs) She changed everything about how I saw the world. And I remember this. I am nursing her. She's like three months old. And I have a meeting at Paramount. So I'm still writing. I have a meeting. So this is both like we're just starting to get traction with Catch My Party. I have a meeting at Paramount. I'm doing writing a movie with Salma, for, not with, for Salma Hayek. And I'm sitting in this meeting and I'm thinking to myself, like, whoa, my old self from nine months, let's say a year ago would have thought, I am so cool. I'm with Salma Hayek. And then my new self is saying, what the hell is this? Salma Hayek doesn't care about me. I'm just here to like, shine the light on her. I've got a bigger job now because I'm Lainey's mom and my boobs are so filled with milk. I got to get home to her. I don't care that I'm in a room with some celebrity. That idea that somehow by rubbing shoulders with celebrities, like you're somehow cool, like that became so insignificant to me. But if you had told me this a year before, I would have been like, are you kidding me? So I wanted a way out. It felt successful to, I guess, you know, be hobnobbing and to be working with people who were super successful. Right. But at first, I I think it is that that kind of come to Jesus moment where you go, I'm not that cool. Like, this isn't (laughs) that cool. I'm not that cool. I can't believe I totally bought into this. And um, so I got put on another movie and I... I started to feel really bad and I started to feel like this wasn't working. This was my second kind of midlife crisis. So writing had worked for me for 10 years, but it was, it was like, I always say it's like a sweater that starts to get too small, like shrinks and starts to itch. And all you want to do is take that sweater off. That's how I felt. Right. But this time you had the side biz and the side biz. Well, it wasn't really making any money. I mean, it was getting traffic. I remember we had gotten to something like 30,000 page views. And we're in LA and David, my husband goes, wow, that's like the size of Beverly Hills. Like the people of Beverly Hills, everybody coming to your site uh, in one month. And I thought, oh my God, we've arrived. <laughs> and if you know anything about the internet, like getting 30,000 page views in a month is good, but it, it's not going to pay your bills. So it was like a very, again, humbling experience. But I said to David, um, and, and MySpace had gone through its crazy rise and now was kind of coming down as Facebook was coming on the scene. And I said, should we take our fate in our own hands? Like, should we quit our jobs and just do this full time? And wow. he wanted to be, he was working so hard. And my daughter now is probably like one. And he's like, I don't want to miss this being home and seeing her. 
And I'm like, I don't want to be hobnobbing with celebrities. So let's do it. Let's bet on us. And we did. And so that was how we decided we were going to do it. And for a while, it was really touch and go. Like, I don't want to sell this as some major success story. It took a while. Um, I remember I wrote my first blog post and I was so proud of myself. And I said, okay, so woo, I did it. And he's like, no, 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 you got to do it again and again and again. <laughs> so I think that understanding the magnitude of what the task, I don't think I understood it when we quit our jobs, what mm. we needed to do. Oh, the grind of content and, and online marketing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is definitely a grind. But, you know, the thing that's so fascinating is it's step by step. You were really tuned in to not the minutia, but this feels good. This yes. doesn't feel good. And that I think about it is what as my, you. Yes. Well, what I, I would say is that what happened when I was like in my early 20s, where I really, um, I felt like I seriously had like a crisis. I feel like since then, I learned to make, somebody said this, and I thought this was such a good way to to describe it, micro adjustments. Mm-hmm. Like I was working in TV and then I thought, no, 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 I think movies. And then I kind of did a micro adjustment. Then I made some bigger adjustments, but instead of like, oh my God, I, I am so, I'm so, I know this is going to be a big explosion. I learned to kind of pivot along the way. So good and so hard to trust yourself. You know, I find for women, learning how to trust yourself, especially as an entrepreneur, is it's not so easy. And it's and not it's for so the, lonely. It's lonely. so lonely. It's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. I'm always encouraging um, people to get in communities where they're not alone because it's hard to make decisions by yourself. And there are so many decisions to make. But you know, you're moving toward tech. So look at what's mm-hmm. happening here. So okay, you've got so, writing. So we have, yeah. And so we've got catch tech. my party mm-hmm. and I'm blogging. David is handling all of the tech and we're getting a lot of traffic from Facebook. And then all of a sudden Facebook starts changing their algorithm and our traffic from Facebook starts to decline. And we go, Oh no. Again, are we going out of business? Like, is this not going to work? And we noticed that we were starting to get traffic from Pinterest. And we thought to ourselves, we got to double down on this somehow. And David built a little widget that if you go to catch my party, you'll see it. It pops up and says, follow us on Pinterest. And people started following us on Pinterest and our Pinterest traffic started growing. So in the process of this, um, and by the way, right now, I think we have like something like 1.7 million Pinterest followers, mostly because of our pop-up, because it, it, it kind of was like a snowball, you know, it grew our wow. Pinterest traffic. So yeah. people found us on Pinterest and would end up on our site and they'd see our pop-up and they'd follow us on Pinterest. And anyway, and then we set, stepped back and said, Hey, if this worked for us, right? We scratched our own itch. Maybe we could offer this to other bloggers because it could grow their Pinterest followers. So it's again, because I've been, because I started to go to conferences and meet other women who are in this space, I had this network of people that I could say, Hey, do you want to try our pop-up app? But I did go, I remember going to a conference and I had these like postcards that I had printed out and I would secretly, because I wasn't a speaker or a sponsor at these conferences, I'd like slip it to people and go, Hey, you want to try my pop-up app? You know, <laughs> um, and like, I look again, kind of crazy, but I was, you know, I'm not threatening. I'm only five, two. And I, I would, you know, I don't know. And so people started doing it and I would reach out to my friends and then we rolled out an affiliate program so people could, you know, benefit by sharing it. 
And that really, that worked. And so all of a sudden, though, my MBA, which I'd kind of pushed aside and thought, eh, what, you know, started to come into play of like, how can I think about this? And I really like this because Catch My Party is so big and um kind of impersonal. People come to the site, they get party ideas, and then they leave. And also, David and I wanted to seem like we were this really big company. So I didn't really put myself out there. I wanted to seem as if this was back, I don't know. I mean, I, I, as I, as I coach people today, I say, do not do this. Like put yourself out there and mm, be a yeah. one woman show and show all the warts. But I was like, no, 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 we're like corporate or something. So I didn't really feel like from my audience, I was building these relationships, but with the pop-up app, because I was dealing with blogger women, who were in like food bloggers and craft bloggers and mom bloggers and all this stuff, I started to really feel this community. And that was really cool because all of a sudden it felt more personal and I felt more invested in their success oh, rather I than love feeling that. more anonymous. Yeah, I love that. And again, you're following and you're tuning in to what lights you up. So here was a part of the business that wasn't even on your agenda. You've kind of forgot about your MBA. <laughs> And now you're like pulling it all back in. So, oh, the people part is interesting and, and women bloggers and, oh my gosh, midlife women. I have so many people who want to start writing, but they're Mm. afraid and they don't know how to start. And I remember with trepidation how I felt when I, when I posted my first blog, I literally looked up on Google and I'm like, how to post a blog. And it just said, start with hello world. So I'm like, okay, tick, 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 hello world. (laughs) And I did exactly what it, and it wasn't hard, but again, I didn't appreciate the creative grind that Mm -hmm. was just about to happen. And what I experienced was I loved it. I loved pushing myself to be creative in ways that traditionally didn't have to be creative. You know, when I started with direct sales, I was dabbling. This is while I was still working. And then I got laid off. So in that in-between time, I started with direct sales as I was taking my coach training. And I loved, it was like a baby step into business and meeting Mm -hmm. other women and learning the basics of relationship building. And I started a blog and I loved pushing myself to be super creative and tell stories Mm -hmm. as part of the lockets that I was selling or the nail product that I was selling and not just pictures and visuals of the product, but to bring in the storytelling. How could I bring in my dog? How could Mm. I bring in the backyard and the way I feel about the summer and versus the way I feel about the winter and all that stuff. But I, I remember really challenging myself to take interesting photos and to write and tell stories and not just promote the the photos that come from the companies. So mm. I, I noticed that I liked it and I leaned in. And now here you're noticing that you like it and these relationships, it's easier to, for you to become invested in it, which is awesome. One so, thing that I, oh, I was just going to say, uh, one thing yeah, that I found was I'm a, young, I'm a mom with a young kid. And I had gone from being like Jillian Tober, that's my maiden name, like Hollywood writer to Jillian, Jill Leslie Laney's mom. And nobody at preschool knew what I did. And they thought what I did was kind of cute. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like it's a real business. And 
And it was like, I felt this disconnect because it didn't even make sense to try to explain it. And so meeting other women online, doing what I was doing, who understood the word WordPress or Pinterest or monetize felt so like I found my tribe. That's so great where you least expected it. Yes. And it wasn't in the pre. I love the preschool moms for preschool to talk about, you know, poops and activities and all those things. But I wasn't, it wasn't nourishing my soul. Exactly. In the way that finding this whole world online was. It's so funny how communities that you feel connected to sometimes surprise you. I had that experience too, where a friend of mine had a, her husband died out of the blue at 39 um, with some kind of a medical issue. And she ended up writing a book, a collection of essays about mourning and being at different stages of the mourning process. So some people it happened to right away and different members of the family and all kinds of things. And I remember she approached me to write a piece for the book. And my parents had been dead like 40 years when she approached me, 30 or 40 years, like a long time ago. Uh, whenever that I've lost track of time, I would have to stop and count on my fingers and toes to remember how many years it was when I was asked. But the point was, I never considered myself part of that community. Even though both of my parents died as a kid, I didn't consider myself an active mourner, even though it's on my mind every day. And I absolutely connect with that part of my experience. So it wasn't until I was asked, I was invited to write a piece. And I ended up writing a piece around reflecting. I was five when my mother died, reflecting on now that I have a child who turned five, what that was like for me, that experience of compare and contrast. And oh my gosh, it was such a meaningful moment. It never occurred to me to connect or identify with that community. Yet I was like a poster child for that community, but it was really because it was so long ago. So I love that that the blogging community, the women bloggers are a a huge community and it never occurred to you, even though you're a writer, Mm -hmm. but it kind of, this is where your path is becoming very, very clear because Mm -hmm. it's writing and tech and community. And, And community. So cut to COVID. And so we have this party blog. Guess what? During COVID, nobody's throwing parties. <laughs> in fact, like our traffic dropped by 65% in wow. a week. It was, and again, another example of David and I looking at each other going, oh my God, we're in trouble. Like what's going to happen? So I'm freaked out. Just like the world is freaked out. And I, I can't talk about COVID anymore, right? With my parents and my friends, it's too much again. So I say to David, I want to start a coaching group. Oh, I started my podcast as a part of this whole idea of community. So I, I decided I wanted to help predominantly women bloggers grow their businesses. And because this is where like my MBA came in, like I have frameworks and I understand I'm not afraid of numbers and I'm not afraid of words like revenue. So I start this podcast and I don't even really, I, it's to support Milo Tree, our pop-up app, which is named after our favorite tree in Hawaii, by the way. And, um, but I, I didn't have a fully, full direction. 
However, I loved my podcast because I got to meet people like you. I got to invite people. All of a sudden, I'm very much, I'm inquisitive. Mm-hmm. And on my podcast, I can ask the questions that are go a little beyond what you could ask at a cocktail party. Yes. And I love that level of intimacy. So I start this podcast and I think it was probably going now for like two years, but the, but then the pandemic starts and I say to David, I want to start a membership where I teach women how to grow blogs and online businesses. And lo and behold, a group of women join and I get to show up with them. And it was such a nice way of working, getting through the pandemic. And I made David come too, because he's so techy that he gave me this feeling like, they would look to him like, oh, because he would know the answers to all their tech questions. <laughs> and he's super sweet. And but he was kind of like the only guy in the on the whole Zoom call. Um, and I loved hearing about their businesses. And I loved when they started interacting with each other. Like I didn't have to be the expert on everything. I was like the cheerleader or like I like to say like the camp counselor. Again, we would teach on some topic, but it was really this wonderful group of women. And then we noticed something. Women with audiences who were not monetizing by selling things to their audiences because it had a lot of tech involved. Oh my God, I want to sell a PDF, like a, a good ebook, or I want to set up a membership, or I want to do all this stuff. And they didn't know how to do it. So I said, Hey, I'll help you. Like you pay me and I'll, I'll set it up for you because I wanted to help these women monetize. And as I started to try to hook it together for them, like they'd have a big Facebook page or community and they'd go, I want to turn this into a membership, but I don't know how to collect payments. And I go, okay, well, I'll do it. I'll, I don't know, figure it out. And I would. And it was this really convoluted way of doing it. And it wasn't, there was no easy way. And I said to David, I see a problem that we could help women solve. And that is, to create a way for them to sell. Because I don't, I think women struggle with selling. We've talked about this. Not all women, but in general, we're nice people and it's like hard to ask for money and all that. And I thought if I could help women sell and kind of own their own, their financial future. So they aren't so dependent on working with brands or even putting ads on their blog, but they could say, I see a problem for my audience. I can sell you a solution for this. That's what I wanted to help women achieve, mostly because on my podcast now, I've been doing my podcast for four years. I interview some very successful entrepreneurs and bloggers, and the ones that make the most money all sell stuff to their audiences. Well, you hit the nail on the head, and I I remember seeing what you were offering, and at first I was confused by it because it seemed so different and so much more intimate, like even the name Milo Tree. That's not mm-hmm. like some big scary company. So we, we found this need for women to sell to their audiences. And we called it Milo Tree Cart from Milo Tree. So this is like our second product. And this time for with Milo Tree, we were scratching our own itch, right? We needed traffic from Pinterest. We figured out we could create this pop-up. And then we thought to ourselves, hey, we could roll this out to other people. Well, here, because of my group, I saw women having this problem. And it was complicated. And I thought I could solve this for them. Exactly, Jillian. And if you wouldn't have been so tuned into the community the way you were, you wouldn't have really appreciated the problem. You wouldn't have really appreciated it. Plus, you were 
talking to all of these experts and you were now blogging for a longer period of time. So I love that. But the thing I really notice about you is that you are open to noticing this stuff, like this ability to pivot is not something everybody can do. And it certainly got in my way when I was stuck for 19 years. I wasn't stuck for 19 years. When I was in my 19-year job and I was stuck for five of those years, I wasn't as open to pivot because I was so fearful. Mm. And so you know that there is fear involved with selling stuff. And there's also uh, a lot of imposter syndrome and, you know, and just putting yourself out there and just the whole thing is so difficult for so many people who have to sell and are just so resistant to selling, um, but they know that they can help people. So I just love how open you were to the pivot. Mm. Well, first of all, just so you know, it came from loneliness during the pandemic. I just <laughs> wanted people around me where we didn't, where we could talk about positive stuff and not just COVID and the scary, scary thing. And just know, I don't know if your audience knows about this, but like I'm an Enneagram six, which is fear-based. I am fear-based. I look out into the world and I'm always looking for what is scary. I am a catastrophic thinker. So I I just want to let you know that I'm afraid of everything. And <laughs> that and makes yet, it though, all the more amazing that you pursued this kind of stuff. Well, I guess I kind of feel like if it's not going to work, I'm okay pulling up and going another way. Like I, I feel like my foundation, especially like with my husband, like it's strong. We'll figure it out. I, we did this move. Um, when my daughter turned was in sixth grade and she was going into middle school and we picked up and moved from the Bay area to Austin. And what we said to her, and by the way, we have no friend, we had no friends in Austin, no nothing. We just said, you know what? Let's do this. Like, why are we living in the most expensive part of the country? We actually had had family in the Bay area. They moved away. And we said to ourselves, and maybe this is the way that I was able to do this. We said, if it sucks, we'll move back. And then it turned out to be so really good. good. So I think that I always am telling myself, if it doesn't work, we'll come up with something else. Yeah. And I love that, especially in midlife, because we are older and wiser. We're not just older. We are amazing <laughs> problem solvers, right? So when you think about the advice that you would give other women out there who are stuck or who aren't quite uh, in alignment with something that feels really good, what would it be? Is it something around managing fear? Mm. I think managing fear is for me is everything. Yeah. And I think for, for me personally, um, I say this, I have a 15 year old daughter who is also fear based. And I say this to her all the time, which is, can you hold two things that are contradictory at the same time? So just a little story. My daughter's into theater and she auditioned for the musical at school and she didn't get the part she wanted. In fact, she got the chorus. And she was devastated, devastated. And I said, okay, let's hold two things at the same time. This is complicated and hard, but we're going to do it. One is, this is devastating. And two, this is high school theater. And she was eight. This is not cancer. This is not, this is not, you know, war. This is, this is high school theater. And this is devastating. Exactly. I and love using her, and like in that 15 year old mind, I think it was me. It wasn't me diminishing it and right. saying, Oh, come on. It's high school theater. 
but it was me saying, I'm going to give you how big this is. And at 15, this is a huge deal. Absolutely. I I love hearing your story, which is why I was excited to have you on because, you know, you're in tech right now and you wouldn't have predicted that in a million years and your path was not direct, but that is what happens. It's trusting, it's trying new things. It's saying yes to the next thing that makes the most sense and feels the best. And then it's being open to what you can learn from that yes and that step. And I think um, I definitely started to feel that the security I needed was in the long-term job. They use that expression, golden handcuffs. And I think that was really affecting me because I had the dental benefits. <laughs> I was yeah, like, I get that. But I, get I have that. the dental benefits. I can't I get that. I can't I do that. anything scary and unproven, but everything is unproven. There is no certainty. So it's really trusting yourself and your ability to figure stuff out. And you've done such a beautiful job of that. So I can personally highly recommend Milo Tree Cart. And can you uh, just mention how people can learn more about this and the pop-up, any bloggers especially want to know, how can they find it? Absolutely. So if you go to milotreecart.com, you'll find our payment tool, which is how I met you, Susie. Um, And it's really, I wrote down today, like what we are solving for, what problem we saw. And it's, it is easy tech. It's built for non-techies yes, because ma'am. most tech is not built for non-techies. And we are there to hold your hand through this process of setting up digital products, whether they be digital downloads like you've set up, paid workshops, memberships, anything that you can provide digitally, you can sell with Milo Tree Cart. And the other thing is we give you step-by-step guides so that you can launch products and templates and things like that. And there's no risk because we give you 30 days, a 30 day money back guarantee. I only want you to keep it if you love it. That's it. That's our whole, like we stand behind this. And that's what I wanted to offer women was like, we have this motto that I really like, and it's friends don't let friends ride the roller coaster alone because (laughs) the entrepreneurial journey is a roller coaster. Like as I've shared, there are many times in this story where David and I, I've looked at him and gone, oh no. You know, how are we going to get out of this one? And so it is a roller coaster. You're not alone if you think that, but you want people in the cart with you, you know, riding it. Absolutely. Jillian, thank you so much. You did a great job of, of explaining the reality of moving forward and growing and becoming fulfilled and, and taking steps that make sense to you. That is how you find your passion and that is how you grow forward. So I'll have all of the links in the show notes. So thank you so much. And I'll also put the name of your podcast in the show notes. What's the name of it again? The Blogger Genius Podcast. Amazing. Because I know there's a lot of bloggers listening. Thank you so much. What an awesome chance to talk. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, that's it for this episode. I found Jillian's story so interesting. She would never have predicted that she would be working in tech the way she does. And that's the beauty of believing and trusting that you're on the right path. I always coach on this. If truth be told, when we're stuck and not clear about our priorities for our next chapter, what most of us really, really, really want is certainty. (laughs) And if you wrap it up with a pretty bow and hand it to us, even better. Life's not like that, though. Nothing is certain. 
but you do have your mindset, your belief, and your knowledge and experience to help you make the next best decision and take the next best step. And that's where trust comes in. If you trust that you have the capacity to do this and stay in the present moment more and more rather than freaking yourself out about thinking about the next 10 or 20 steps, (laughs) you're highly likely to keep moving forward. So it's a really good idea to take a look at the way you trust your ability to know what the next best decision is. Do you believe that you have inner wisdom about what's best for you? Like seriously, do you? And if not, ask yourself why not? And then take note of your answers. Decide if you like the reasons for thinking that way. And this little simple exercise will also help you to keep moving forward, just like the queen of your brain domain. So that's it. Let's keep going. Okay, so as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. This is how you put you on your agenda. This is how you embrace becoming more responsible for your emotional well-being. This is how you get clarity again for what you actually want so you don't have regrets. Now, as you know, my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. Like I said, that path forward is to learn to think on purpose and take it one tiny but thoughtful step at a time. So ask yourself, are you ready to do this? Because if you are, I am all in to help you do it. Seriously, if you're ready to change your life and learn the skills to unstick yourself with some masterful coaching, a top-notch curriculum, an infusion of creativity, and a warm, fun, and awesome community of like-minded women, let's talk about it. I would love to be able to help you get unstuck and create your own blueprint for happiness. You can absolutely be more fulfilled than ever before. Email me your questions, and of course, go ahead and book your momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 288. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new upcoming podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week.